0: Well, good morning. It's great to be here with you all. And uh, again, thank you for your support of me Um, through many years. I just finished my ninth year uh, doing ministry at College Park, the University of Maryland. And and this church has been um, really foundational in um, supporting me and praying for me and um, having me speak on your men's retreat a couple years back and um, praying for me. And and so thank you for that. support. Uh, just a couple things about RUF. Um, the Lord uh, continues to bring students to us. One example is a young man by the name of Presley Muwan from West Africa. He doesn't even go to the University of Maryland, but one of my students attends Prince George's Community, Co- Community College, lives in the neighborhood, but she attends University of Maryland RUF. And uh, Press through, through her invite, um, really at a Starbucks, he started coming to RUF, Maryland, this spring. And I mean, he started coming to everything and really tying in and uh, even to our small group Bible study training time. And during one of those times as I'm kind of unpacking how to study the Bible and and what the gospel is all about, it's almost as if things really clicked for him. And uh, he grew up in somewhat of a nominal home, uh, Christian home in West Africa, but was never told the why. He was never told why do we believe these things? What is it about Christ that's different? He just kind of went along with growing up in this church school there. And, uh, and so it's been really neat to just see his eyes open to this idea of the objective reality of Christ dying on the cross for us and forgiving our sins. Uh, this is something that's foundational uh, to what we all believe—that Jesus really came, that He really died for sinners—and so wonderful just to see God at work. Another way we're seeing God at work is students are going into doing ministry. Uh, one of my, st- two of my students this summer are working with Center for Student Missions, an organization that's in about I don't know ten or twelve cities around the country, and they're full-time guides, so they're taking. Short-term teams, youth teams around these cities. One's in Houston and one's in D.C. And so just seeing God call people into ministry. One girl is uh, an intern. Excuse me, an intern at a sister church, Annapolis Evangelical Presbyterian Church. And so it's just neat seeing students do ministry and uh, be called uh, that way. Another another way is marriages. In fact, here's a wedding announcement right here that I scribbled some notes on. Um, God has been... uh, (laughs) doing this wonderful work of really connecting students in our ministry. And just this past year, I think I did four uh, different weddings of students. Um, Either both of them were in RUF at Maryland, or one of them was, and then I I I had the privilege to do their marriage counseling and and do their wedding. And so, you know, God builds His kingdom different ways. And, And one of the big ways, one of the primary ways is bringing Christians together in marriage and seeing God uh, bring about families uh, for his glory. And so all of this happens because of you, because of your prayers, uh, because of your support. The last thing is this. um, Typically, RUF has a huge summer conference at Panama City Beach every May for three straight weeks. And actually, Maryland was responsible for starting the third week some years ago because the finals of Maryland never matched up. Well, guess what? This year, the finals were even further, and so we couldn't even go to the third week. And so, in God's good grace and providence, we started our own uh, four-day summer conference at Harvey Cedars, New Jersey, after the finals week was over. And God was gracious to us. There was about 50 participants, about 23 or four from Maryland. Delaware State, another new RUF, Historic Black College, has started an RUF chapter. They brought students. We had students from Good Hope. Presbyterian Church that come from all kinds of colleges, Messiah, etc. And so we're hoping to do this next year. So if you have college students that would like to go with us, let me know. uh, Because we'd love to have them. Um, It's a great way to kind of kick off the summer for students. So uh, with that, let me pray. And we're going to look at uh, Luke chapter 5 today. Lord Jesus, thank you so much uh, for your gospel. Lord, for being able to gather here with the saints to praise your name, to confess our sins. Lord, to sing these praises and to hear your word. Jesus, we pray that you would be with us. Your Holy Spirit would be with me. Be with us, Lord. Help me to get out of, out of the way, Lord, and let Jesus be raised up. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. As a child growing up, uh, I remember being fascinated with the West, and especially the Grand Canyon and the landscape of the West. And uh, I, you know, I love the old Westerns. I love watching Gunsmoke. I'm I'm dating myself Marshall Dillon and Festus, if you remember those guys. And uh and the John Wayne movies and and just being fascinated by the West. I remember watching the Brady Bunch double episode of them going journeying to the Grand Canyon, if you remember that. Um and I think, you know, being in the East, there's something about the West, you know, that's uh, mysterious and wonderful and, and the landscape. And uh and so when I was a youth pastor in Oklahoma, finally got the opportunity to visit the Grand Canyon. And we were doing a youth trip out to California, and I took a detour two hours above Route 40 and finally saw that giant hole for myself. And it was amazing. If you've ever been there, stood on the south rim, and it just takes your breath away. Uh, you know, one mile wide, ten miles, or ten miles wide, one mile deep, just the strata and the colors and the rocks if you've never been there you need to go just the glory of God's creation you know I had I had known about the Grand Canyon in my mind I'd seen photos of it but I'd never experienced it until I was standing there on the edge and this morning as we look at this passage in Luke chapter 5 Peter was getting to know Jesus he had been around Jesus a little bit. This is at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. Jesus had even healed his mother-in-law. But he really didn't know who this Jesus was until this passage. And so he's getting to know Christ, maybe for the first time. Been around him, but really didn't know him. So if you would, look at your scriptures, and uh, we're going to read here Luke chapter 5, 1-11. Uh, to 11. Hear God's word. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing, this is Jesus, by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. I want to address my message today, especially to the students in the room. This is the time of graduation, uh, the time of thinking about college and so forth. But the questions that this text answers apply to everyone. And these are really the big questions. The big questions that I deal with as a RUF campus minister The questions of authority and truth. You know, is there truth? Uh, What should I believe? Who should I believe? Questions of identity. Who am I? Uh, Questions of hope. Is there any hope for this broken world? Is there any hope for me with my broken life? And purpose. You know, what should I do with my life? Uh, You know, the university setting will bring all of these questions up. In fact, our culture uh, brings these questions up all the time. And the passage today um, answers these things only as we get a clear picture of knowing who Jesus is. It's when we see Jesus face-to-face is when these questions that we all have begin to be answered and begin to be satisfied. But uh, the problem is, is that in our culture, uh, many are not seeing this Jesus. Many are not seeing the true God of the Bible. In fact, uh, there's a sociologist and author by the name of Christian Smith, uh, who's done a pretty expansive study on the beliefs of youth in America. In fact, he did a study interviewing about three thousand uh, young people, and many of these people went to churches. Many of these these children, these youth, grew up in the church, and What he found out at the end of this study was that students, many of the students around us have this definition that he came up with called moralistic uh, therapeutic deism. Has anybody ever heard this this idea? I'm just going to call it uh, MTD. (laughs) But here's what he said most people believe. And I think you could say this for most people in our culture, not just youth. Uh, that God exists, who created us and ordered the world, and he kind of watches over human life. But he's not really involved. It's a deistic idea. You know, the God's the big watchmaker, and he creates the world and kind of stands off. Secondly, this God wants people to be good and nice and fair to each other, as taught in the Bible and by most world religions. So kind of boiling everything down, God just wants us to be good, whatever religion you believe. Three, the central goal of life is to be happy and to feel good about oneself. And so there you have the therapeutic idea, like God just wants us to be happy. That's the main idea, right, that the Bible talks about? That four, Number four, God does not need to be particularly involved in one's life except when God is needed to resolve a problem. And so I really don't have to worry about God, but man, when I get in trouble, that's <laughs> I'm going to be looking for God. And fifth, uh, good people go to heaven when they die. These are the general beliefs of American culture. The problem is, (laughs) this is not what we find here when we look at the Scriptures or when we look at Jesus. It's simply not uh, in the Bible. And if you have these kind of beliefs, there's good news, because that's what we're going to talk about. But if you have that kind of a God, that kind of a belief system, when the storms of college hit or when the storms of life hit, you will not be able to stand when the, the big questions that are raised at the university of, uh, you know, all religions are just the same. It doesn't really matter what you believe as long as you love people and respect people. Um, when the challenges of moving away from home and, and uh, leaving church and leaving friends and leaving your youth group, when those storms hit, if you have a moralistic or an MTD faith, you're going to be in trouble when you fail an exam, when you fail out of your major. It's going to be tough to stand. When um, the pressure of peers to go out and party and just forget about anything, it's going to be hard to stand. And so that's why this passage is so important to us because it's taking a look at Jesus. And when you see Jesus these larger questions are answered. And so I'm going to just kind of go through these. The question of authority. Who do I listen to? Is there truth? And so Peter and his friends, going back to the text, had been up all night. And they were tired. And they were frustrated. They had been up all night. and They had taken nothing. There was no fish. And, you know, Peter's probably filled with lots of doubt, even about his ability to provide for his family. You know, can I, can I make it? You know, what kind of fisherman am I? Depressed. And then he hears Jesus, who was, you know, he was getting to know him. Jesus is there teaching on the shore. And, in fact, Jesus was sitting in the boat now. He let him sit in his boat and teach the people. And he hears Jesus say, uh, you know, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And I can hear the wheels chugging. In Peter's mind, this is after being up all night fishing. You know, I can hear the excuses. You know, we're just flat out exhausted, Jesus. Like, this isn't going to happen. We're cleaning our nets. That's a huge job. I'm tired. You know, Jesus, nighttime is the right time for fishing. Things are quiet. That's when the fish are beating. This is morning. There's a noisy crowd over here. Like, there's not going to be any fish here. This is ridiculous. Jesus, you're the teacher I'm the fisherman. I kind of know what I'm doing here. You're, the, you're, you're you know, the Bible teacher guy, and I'm the fisherman. I know what I'm doing. But what do we hear? Well, instead, in Luke 5, five, Peter says this. And it's, it's somewhat of a reluctant, small, pitiful faith. But yet it's faith indeed. He says, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Okay, there's the reality <laughs> But, at your word, I will let down the nets. But, at your word, I will let down the nets. Now, why did, why did Peter obey? Well, I think it was because he did see things going on in Jesus that made him realize that something's different about this guy. He had healed his mother-in-law. He had, he had seen him cast out demons. He had seen him heal the sick. He had seen all these crowds following him, and something about Jesus was different. And so, you know, it's it's good to note this because when Jesus says this, it's not a blind faith for Peter to throw down the nets. You know, a lot of people think, oh, Christianity, it's just a blind faith, you know. Blind step in the dark. It's not. God has revealed himself, and Jesus has revealed himself before to Peter with these miracles, with these things that he was doing. And so Peter, with that, he he obeys. And what happens next? Well, there's... An amazing catch of fish. Look at 6 and 7. They enclosed such a large number of fish that their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. Do you see the blessing in bowing to the authority of Christ? The boats are sinking. (laughs) Even though Peter was reluctant. Jesus was revealing himself to Peter and these disciples and the crowds. He was saying, I'm the king of the universe. I can whistle and thousands of fish are going to come jump into these nets. That's my kind of command. That's my creative command. That's my kind of power. And Jesus is revealing himself because he is showing his authority. He's saying that, that my word is God's word. I am the Lord. I am here. So the question for us, the question for students, the question for all of us is, you know, what is our authority in life? Is it our own ideas? You know, is it the culture? Is it the media? Is it, is it science? And Jesus is saying, I am the ultimate authority. I'm the one who's created you. I'm the one who knows you. I'm the one who created science and all the laws of physics and chemistry and biology. This is me. This is the God of the universe. And so, uh, because of this, God is saying, trust me. Trust my word. You know, we are people of the book. God has revealed to us uh, these stories in the Scriptures. And so, when we think about authority... We don't think of some mystical idea out there. We think about this God who has spoken. This God who has revealed Himself. Two ways. Through the creation, we call that general revelation. And secondly, special revelation. Through the Scriptures, through His actions in the world. Ultimately, through Christ, the living Word. And so this is what we look to when we think about authority. This is what we look to when we are questioned and when when there's doubts and when professors and We hear ideas that, man, that just doesn't sound right. Where do we ultimately look for authority? Even if we don't know in our little brains all the answers, we have a God who knows all the answers. We have a God who has spoken. And so we run there. But ultimately, sometimes we don't (laughs) submit because other things get in the way. We think we can handle life on our own. We think we can control the fist, so to speak. And this is really just the essence of the sinful nature. What I find with students at Maryland is when their nets are empty, that's when they're ready to hear about the authority of Jesus. When they're struggling, when they're suicidal, when they've got problems in relationships, it's almost as if God—that that is God's grace in that storm. And he is bringing them to the knowledge that I can't figure it out on my own. I'm failing out of my classes, and I'm a senior, and I can't and, and I can't graduate. I had one student; he was ready to do the RUF internship. He had been accepted, went through the interviews, everything. I was so proud. I'm going to have a student do the RUF internship. He failed out of a class. He couldn't do the RUF internship, and he just, you know, devastating. He's doing fine, but. You know, students will come to me when they are broken. This semester, I've had the wonderful opportunity to get to know a, a Chinese student who's at the University of Maryland. She's from the Szechuan province of China. And she came to us through another student, a very fringe student, who met her in a Toastmasters class. Uh, he's, the, he's like the president of Toastmasters, the, uh, uh, the speaking public speaking club at Maryland. And uh, this kid said, hey, I met this Chinese girl, and she has all these questions about Christianity. So he, like, said, hey, you need to talk to her. So this girl um, had never heard anything about the Bible, never heard anything about Christianity. In her little town in Szechuan, China, Though there was a church. And she had gone through a, a horrible breakup with a boyfriend. And through that, she... She would go into this church, she didn't know anything about it, and she would just sit there and watch what was going on. And her mother would basically ridicule her because, uh, you don't know anything about this, this isn't true, why are you there? Well, when she gets to America, her search, God is drawing her, her search continues. And and now, we've been able to like sit down, and I've been able to like try to unpack the Bible for her, and the gospel, and... But I mean, she'll ask me like things like, "Why do people pray? Why are people singing?" Um, you know, is is are Israel and the Jews the same? I mean, it's just wonderful because you have somebody that's never experienced the gospel. But what brought her there was this brokenness in this relationship. And she, as we were talking about <laughs> one quick story, one of the times we were meeting, I was I was telling her, "Okay, next week I want you to read." The gospel of john like the first three chapters well she comes back to me she said and and she had read first john instead this is this is how awesome god is so she had read first john and i was like oh that's that's wrong you, you need to be back in john the gospel of john well she said well i do have a question about this very last verse in first john five where it says dear children keep yourself from idols So she so this began to unpack this idea of how sin is like idolatry and we trust other things and so she I started talking about how we can make idols of work and grades and gpa and you know relationships and boyfriends etc she said that's it i've been this boyfriend was like my idol was my god you see god at work in people's brokenness and so, where do you go when your nets are empty? Do you look to your own authority? Or do you look outside yourself to the authority of Christ? And that's what thats what Peter is doing, and that's what he's calling us to do. In your emptiness, where are you going? In your brokenness, where are you going? Secondly is identity. The question of identity, who am I? And John Calvin, in his institutes, he talks about this idea that That true wisdom is this, it's knowing God, but also knowing yourself, and vice versa. The more you get to know God, guess what? It shines on the more, and you understand more about yourself. And we see that in this reaction with Peter. Look at verse 8. When Peter saw this, the miracle, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. You know, now if I were Peter, I would be much different. (laughs) It's like, Jesus, this is great. Can you meet us tomorrow morning? Uh, (laughs) Can we start a restaurant, you know? Jesus and and Pete's like house of trout or something like that on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus, you're like a fist GPS. Like you tell us where to throw. This is going to be great. Instead, depart from me. I'm a sinful man, O Lord what was going on well he's you see he's coming face to face he's he's at the ledge of the south rim of the grand canyon and he is seeing the reality of the hole in his life he's seeing the emptiness of his life he's seeing that jesus is the lord of glory he is holy he commands and the fish come in this is i am i am connecting r- right now with something far greater than myself i'm connecting to the God of the universe. And ultimately, he's humbled by it. Ultimately, he see, he's exposed. He sees his sin. And all he can think is, I need to flee. I need to get out of here. I need to run away from this. I can't handle it. My heart is being revealed. In fact, most likely inside, he's thinking like, man, I didn't even want to throw those nets in. I can't believe it. Like, I, am, I had unbelief in my heart. I am full of sin. I'm full of just wanting to have that big catch. That's my life. And just like the prophet Isaiah who saw that vision of God, what happened to him? He was undone, wasn't he? Woe is me. I'm a man of sinful lips. I live among a people of sinful lips. and My eyes have seen the King, the Lord of glory. This is what happens in all of the passages in the Old Testament with the prophets. They come to the realization that God is holy and lifted up. And they are undone. And they see their sin. And this really needs to happen to us, you know, to truly understand ourselves. We, we need to understand that we are made in the image of God, but we are broken. We are made in the image of God, made to be like him, but when we get close to him, we see that we're sinners and we see our unbelief. And so when you get to know Jesus, only when you get to know Jesus will you truly know yourself. Isn't it amazing how in the Gospels Jesus is always asking questions? Why? Because He wants people to be self-reflective of like who they are, like the woman at the well and so forth. He's always asking questions because He is the great counselor and He is asking us to, to look at Him and to look at ourselves and see our brokenness so that we can ultimately run to Him. But what do we do? So much of the time, we just hide and put on masks. You know, this is, this is what students are doing all the time. It's like the mask of, of being in the fraternity. Nothing wrong with them. But people run into them sometimes just, hey, i got to be in this group of people because this is if, I, if I'm with them and liked by them, then, then I will be okay. Or it's my grades, GPA. Uh, it's my talents. It's my looks. Whatever it is, this is what defines me. This is who I am. And Jesus is saying, You're made my image and you're broken. You're sinners, but come to me for your grace. All these other things, all these other things that we're living our lives for are going to turn up empty. We're going to get old. We're going to get ugly. Okay? And Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. Find your identity in me. And this is really what the MTD doesn't show. (laughs) The, uh, The MTD never says you're a sinner. The MTD never challenges us. It's a God after our own image. Yes, I need a God that blesses me and and gets me to heaven when I die. You know, I need a God. I can just be good on the surface and there's going to be no problems. Well, that's the moralistic therapeutic deism. That's not the God of the Bible. That's going to lead us to hell. But the God of the Bible challenges us. Jesus challenges us with our sin and with ourselves. I mean, uh, I can't help it, but this whole deflate gate issue has, has been, in my mind, it's been a little bit of a happy thing that's gone on. But, you know, why can't why can't a Tom Brady just fess up and say, yeah, I, I did it, I talked to those guys, and I told them to make it a 10.5-pound football? Ultimately, why it's because... His whole life is built on MVPs, you know, his Super Bowl championships, his excellence as a football player. And if he admits that he was cheating, all of that is gone. But here's the, the beauty of the gospel. The gospel says that we can own it. We can say, you know what, you're right, I am a sinner. I'm a bigger sinner than that. I've lied. I've, I'm an idolater. I'm a coveter. I'm a, a lustful person, whatever it is. And Jesus is saying, come to me. Come to me. I'm going to give you a righteousness that you know nothing about. And so that's the glory of our identity. We are these uh, broken people, but yet God loves us in Christ and accepts us. And so there's hope. And that's the next thing. here. La- the third thing is there's this question of hope. Is there forgiveness when I fail? uh and the gospel is saying yes. I mean, this is what students want to know. Like, I'm a, like, they come to that point where they acknowledge their sin. They know they're messed up. But is there any hope? Is there any hope for them? And is there any hope for the world? And, the, and Jesus is saying, yes, there is. In verse 10, <laughs> uh, you know, Jesus could have said to Peter, Peter, you're absolutely right. You are a sinner. Get out. I don't want to have anything to do with you because I'm looking for perfect people who got it all together and know how to fish. Instead, what do we see? Jesus says, do not be afraid. (laughs) From now on, you will be catching men. Don't be afraid. Simon Peter was terrified of the holiness of God and of Jesus being revealed to himself. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. I've dealt with that. I'm going to deal with that. I'm heading to the cross ultimately because the fear of God and the fear of God's holiness is dealt with on the cross. Where Jesus becomes our sin for us. He takes on all of our idols. He takes on all of our unbelief. He takes on all of our sin, all of our wickedness, all of our brokenness upon Himself. And He gives us His righteous standing so that we can come to God and have access to God without fear. That we can be a friend of God Do you see this? This is hope. There was a Scottish revivalist. His name was Robert Murray McShane. He said this, For every one look at your sin, take ten looks at the cross. Peter was devastated by his sin. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid. He's saying that to us too. He's saying, don't be self-loathing. Look at me. Look at the cross. Get your eyes off of yourself and look at Jesus and what He has done for you. His death, His resurrection for you, for a sinner. This is how we uh, really get a good therapy lesson. Uh, Because we are often people who feel oppressed by our sin and our unbelief. And we can stay there and be belly button gazers. And Jesus is saying, get your eyes off there and get it on me. Look at me. You are justified. You are righteous. You are holy. Don't be afraid. And then He says, purpose. Look at this. What do I do with my life? Well, here it is. Jesus calls them. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and they followed him. (laughs) So this is amazing. Jesus didn't just stop with forgiving Peter's sins and saying, don't be afraid. But he's now calling Peter and the disciples into this ministry, into his mission together. You know, you thought fish were smelly. Now I'm going to send you out with some smelly people. (laughs) This is how big God's grace is. He involves us in his mission of being his kingdom workers in all areas of life. In being these these lights on the board here, praying for our neighbors, praying for our neighborhoods, uh, being these people at work who are praying and uh, asking God to, to be at work in our businesses and uh, asking God to help us to be, um, to, to be neighbors who, who love and serve. And... Look at the needs of our community and, and be of service to people. Our purpose is only found when we look at Jesus and we be ca- and we're caught up in his bigger purpose, his bigger story and so we, we only have to look a little further with Peter in Acts chapter two, and this is really you know peter Peter stumbled and you know all through his time with jesus didn't he we, we remember the denial and everything right before the cross and and then Jesus rises from the dead and, and uh, we have that restoration. And then in Acts 2, Peter spreads a very large net for people at Pentecost. And what happens? 3,000 fish jump into that net and are brought to Christ. Amazing. Amazing things that God will do with broken people who acknowledge that they're not the ones in control. That there is a God of the universe that gives me my ultimate purpose. That there's a God of the universe that forgives me and gives me uh, His favor because of the cross. Uh, There's a God of the universe that's spoken and given His authority that I can trust and know that it is true and I don't have to doubt. And so, do you want to do something thrilling with your life? Well, follow Jesus and follow His purposes go after his kingdom risk step out you know faith in the bible is always believe and go it's always i've experienced this grace of the gospel and god sends them out look at abraham he believed but he just didn't stay back in Ur of the chaldeans right god he followed the lord and he's calling us to do the same thing I mean, this whole passage is leading to this response. What will Peter and the disciples do? Well, they say, oh, that was great, but we're going to stay back here with the boats. Stay back here with the fish. No, what we see is they, they recognize this is something awesome. And they go. And they follow Jesus into the deep. Everything changes. Everything. They were still fishermen. But now they are going after people and they are caught up in Jesus' ministry for the next rest of their life. Some of them to the death. Most of them to the death. You know, probably the most exciting thing is when I see students answer that call and do something. Whether it's praying for, loving a roommate, inviting someone to RUF. I mean, little things. Or... Doing something bigger, like, hey, I'm going to go work for this ministry for the summer. Great. I, mean, I just love that because they're following Jesus out for his purposes. You know, and that's really the deadliest catch. You know, what the deadliest catch. What's going on here is Jesus is catching Peter, James, and John, and he's throwing the nets at you and me. And he's saying, in order to, to really be full of me, you have to die to yourself. You have to die to your sins. You have to die to some of your old idols, your old life, and you need to follow me. See, Jesus—the big story here is Jesus is catching his church, his people, to be involved in his kingdom. And I'll close with this last story. Uh, in the summer of 2003, when I was a youth minister in Oklahoma, we went to Manila, to the Philippines, and we stayed at the Wycliffe uh, uh, Bible. Um, what was it called? The Wycliffe Summer, Summer Institute of Linguistics in Manila, and while we were there, all these uh, missionaries were there, and and I'm in the bathroom <laughs> this one day, and I meet this older gentleman, and his name was Ed Roosh, and he was from Wheaton, he went to Wheaton College, he was from the Chicago area, and he graduated from Wheaton back in the fifties, early fifties, and. Him and his wife signed on with Wycliffe. They said, hey, who, wants, who likes the water? And they grew up near Lake Michigan. They said, yeah, we like the water. And they, the next thing you know, they're in the Philippines, a little place called the Palawan Peninsula, southwest of Manila, with this people that their main job of income was they climbed up into these caves and they got these bird nests and they uh, used those bird nests for soup. Uh, and you ever had bird nest soup? Uh, it's a delicacy in some places in in South Asia
1: um,
0: I have not, uh, but when I met Ed that day, he was about forty seven years into that journey, okay so he's in his eighties and they had, he had just finished this task of putting the New Testament into the language of this people group of uh, the Ta- the tagbanwa people and amazing work he he had been through a lot of trials um his wife had died of cancer a few years earlier he he kept going back he had had malaria several times kept, kept coming back you know they went into this village no one was becoming a christian in fact it was 16 something like 16 years he said before the first person became a christian now think of that that's a career for some people 16 years and he got his, the pastor from a Chicago church came over and visited, they got the whole church praying, and finally one young man became a Christian, and then more and more. And now there's this village filled with uh, Christians and, and, and other villages in that people group. And now they have the Bible. Why? Because this man and his wife, they got caught up in Jesus' deadliest catch. And it was exciting. And it was thrilling. And they found their identity in Christ. They found their purpose. They found their mission in Jesus. And God is doing great things. And he's calling all of us. Does that mean we got to go to the Manila? Not necessarily. It might mean that. But it means that we see our daily lives as places where we are part of God's story and his kingdom and following him and catching people for Jesus. Let me pray. Jesus, thank you for this time to look at Your Word. Father, uh, I confess my own sin, my own lack of faith, my own desire to follow You. And Jesus, would You transform us? Uh, Would You get us excited about what You're doing in our own neighborhoods, in our families, through our relationships? How, Jesus, You are casting that net out through Your people and calling them into Your wonderful kingdom. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's go be fishers of.